0: save a prayer for those who care i keep the faith but no one will dare to hold my hand until the end when all the pieces fall into place my body's weak the mind is tired but there's a fire that
1: heals deep inside i close my eyes and stretch my soul
0: to gather up Scott, hello, Philippos. How are you? Welcome to Marvel Talks. Oh, I'm excited. Excited to be here. Likewise, likewise. We managed to put this together in such a short time. I'm really amazed. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: no, nothing like the uh, the spur of the moment. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Get those adrenaline juices pumping. Let me welcome our viewers who are slowly gathering before the stage and say a few things about Scott. I'm very happy to be doing this live right now. Scott is a marketing and lead generation expert who lives in Australia. He's widely regarded as an industry leader in both marketing strategy and copywriting. He has been featured in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age and his unique approach has significantly impacted the bottom line of hundreds of companies worldwide. Is this an accurate snapshot of, uh, of, of Scott?
1: I couldn't have said it better myself, Philippos, and, and I couldn't have said it with that, with that accent either. It was uh, perfect.
0: <laughs> Fant- fantastic. So just to mention to our viewers that my, let's say, relationship with Scott goes back to 2018, when I began using LinkedIn in a more vigorous and, uh, and intensive manner. And I, I, I remember Scott, he was one of the people who was, he was really putting up content consistently, videos, texts, images. Uh, he was one of the people that once you were to open up your newsfeed on LinkedIn, you were to see him popping up um, videos. And what struck with me is that in the beginning, Scott was not, as everyone who is beginning using LinkedIn, he was not getting so many interactions and engagement, but he kept at it, he kept at it. He, He was consistent in delivering his message and in providing quality content on LinkedIn. And today he really has gathered a. A following or a or a fan base of quite a few people, I would say. How? What's your recollection of your journey, uh, Scotty, on 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 LinkedIn? Can you share a few thoughts on your journey?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, LinkedIn was about you know, it was always about consistency, and I think I went into it um, really thinking of it as a you know, as a long game, long term. Sort of thing. So, yeah. So, so really, I mean, it's it's an interesting one because we were both in early on the channel. So it was like you know you put videos out there and you got more and more, more, more and more and more traction and more following. Um, it's interesting now because as the as the funnel and the thing has become more full, and I know we've we've discussed this, um, you know, you're probably not getting as many views as you did previously. But it's a, as much as anything, LinkedIn is really a, you know, it's a, as any content platform is, it's a credibility tool. And the reason why I am very much a believer in content, uh, it first started when I read the book, They Ask You Answer. And he talked mm-hmm. about selling swimming pools. And he said if uh, the normal conversion rate in that industry was 10%, but he found If you could get someone to absorb 30 or more pieces of content before the sales meeting, the conversion rate jumped up to about 80%. So that, to me, was like, and it's probably different for every industry. You know, it's not necessarily eight times for everyone, but it just goes to show, you know, the the more trust there is, the easier it is to make the sale. How is trust developed? It's it's via content. You know, you're more likely to buy from your mum than you are a stranger on the street, for the reason that you've got trust now, I'm never going to be have as much trust as someone's mum. But you want to move up as far away on the trust pendulum from the stranger on the street and as close as you can um, to to the trust that a mother has with their child. That's 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 the way I look at it mm. from a from a content perspective.
0: That's a great ana- analogy as well. The mother child. Uh, so it's it's a beacon of keeping you on the track of where where you want to go. I mean, you can never build perfect trust with uh, business, in business, but you can work towards achieving the best that you can. And what what I wanted to ask you next is, because as you have said, organic growth on LinkedIn is going down, which means... The content that we post does not get so much traction than it used to be. How and, and, and personal branding and increasing your brand awareness is not something measurable, right? Like direct marketing, like having email lists. How would someone know that being consistent? Uh, in their brand message promotion being consistent in the in how they leverage and how they use linkedin will give them results is it something that is given is it something that do you need a leap of faith how do you know that by being consistent you will generate benefits from because you need time you know content generation needs time right
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm more of a fan, and and I haven't done this perfectly, um, but I'm more of a fan of the hybrid model, um, which is particularly if you get in early on a platform, Mm. and that is to pull people across to your email list, to a webinar, Mm. to something as quickly as possible. Because if you're getting a 1,000 views, let's say, on a video, uh, and you can pull, and you can you know you can get five people to subscribe to your newsletter, or or ten people, or two people, or whatever that number is. If you can pull them across to a newsletter, or a webinar, or something where you have control of the platform, um, that's far in my view, that's far far more more powerful than just relying on the platform to you know to take care of it. Because mm-hmm. as small business owners, most of us aren't you know we're not Coca-Colas or we're not uh, we don't have an unlimited marketing budget um, so so it's far better if we can pull them across and then if we've got a, a methodology to then turn that from a, from a, um, a view into an actual sale through some sort of a sales funnel process I think the hybrid model is you know, probably the most effective um, for most of us.
0: The hybrid model, in the sense that you do not really spend most of your time in boosting your brand awareness, but you try to convert attention or to divert attention into your, let's say, lead generation channels, like you divert them to your website or you divert them to download a free ebook. So you, you apply a combination of personal branding together with traditional uh, lead generation tactics so as to increase your chances of converting. Am I getting correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so I think you're combining, the, you're combining the two of them, right? So where, you're, where there's a, a soft call to action, you're not doing mm-hmm. a big sales pitch or something like that. But if you're talking about Facebook ads, Send them to a white paper about Facebook ads. If you're talking about Google ads, talk, send them to a white paper about Google ads because that's what people want. And it allows you to help people. And you're still taking that educational process, but you're taking the control away from the social media platform and across to yourself. So it's a it's a little bit like you imagine if you have the opportunity to do a, to be the cameo like the, uh, not the cameo, like those pre-performers on some rock star stage, right? Imagine if you could get the email list of 10% of the people, of the, you know, of the 100,000 people who showed up for that show. Imagine if you could say, hey, you know, get, grab my free you know, free song from www.freesong.com and you got 10% of the audience to do that. I mean, that 10%, is going to be super valuable to you. Otherwise, you're relying on those, on some of them going, "Wow, did you see that free guy?" And you're sort of relying a bit on luck and and good fortune and all of that sort of thing, rather than controlling the process. And I think it's a, mm. yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of Gary Vaynerchuk and mm. you know and a Russell Brunson sort of thing, mm. and combining, you know, combining. Yeah, the best of the best of both worlds.
0: That's a good combination. I mean, these two gentlemen are masters of their craft. And I mean, Gary V is clearly the guy is be omnipre- he's saying and he's doing it, be omnipresent everywhere. Wherever people, whatever device or platform people use, pop up so that they know you, you're there so that they consume your content. But at the same time, as you said, unless you have a systematic approach to uh, converting part of that attention into something tangible, it can be a vain uh, pursuit, I might say. I mean, even Gary Vaynerchuk, he began, I would say he began from his wine business, his the attention generation he was getting from his the initial videos he did on YouTube, he was channeling them into his, I think the wine library business. So even Gary Vaynerchuk uh, sub- applies a, a hybrid model, I would say. But I think what you said is very correct because at the end of the day, it's not about, and, and, and there is a lot of that going on on LinkedIn. It's not about vanity metrics. I see some people, they have amassed you know, an astonishing number of followers. And I wonder whether having a, an astonishing number of followers will help you generate more revenue. Do you think that having, let's say, 200,000 followers by posting about a multitude of topics, right? Motivational things, traveling things. Will that help you convert what do you need to niche down on your on your message? I I think it's a it's a really
1: interesting one because I mean you know as well as I do that you know you only need you don't need like if we, if we look at let's say business to business I mean there's different types of businesses right but mm-hmm. yeah in a, in a high ticket sales sort of business like consulting or if you're a builder or something like that you don't actually need. You don't need need many clients. So it's more important that your message is going in front of the right people than it is if then you get lots of followers. Like it's, mm. it'd be very easy for you or I to get a lot of likes tomorrow by posting some funny cat video, right? Or posting mm. something like super con- controversial and writing about it and that sort of thing. So the relevance is really, you know, is really critical to the whole process, but I mean, I would rather have hundred views from the right audience than five thousand mm. views from the wrong audience. So, yeah, it's a, it's a combination. Obviously, if you've got more quantity from the right quality, it's a good thing. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, it's getting that yeah, it's getting that. I guess that balance right and understanding what is your what is your product, who is your market. Um, and really looking back and going, who are my best clients right now? Okay, my best clients are, you know, businesses with this many, you know, with this many staff, you know, who are you know, in this particular industry. And if that's the case, then, you know, you want to be making sure that you're getting
0: eyeballs in front of them. So I think from what you say, it is more important to have a specific type of prospect or customer in mind so as to focus your attention in qualifying and converting them than consuming yourself in ways uh, of generating massive amounts of attention which can which could potentially even lead to confusion I think I mean if you, if, if you are only intention on LinkedIn or, or whatever platform is to do whatever it takes to gather people from all walks of life on your newsfeed, then the question is, what do these people think about you or how do they perceive you? I mean, if you are selling jewelry, okay, but you are putting cat videos on LinkedIn, people may begin to wonder, I mean, what's what's this guy about and i think the the more you confuse people the less likely you are to generate trust with them does it make sense
1: yeah yeah no exactly and i think you can be you know you can be clever about it like you could maybe do some yeah like like you you give the jewelry example maybe you could do a photo of a cat with some jewelry on and then Mm. tell a message about it so you're you're combining it, but it's still relevant, right? So you're you're you're, you're edutaining, if you like. Um, so so that sort of thing, I think, can be can be mixed into it. I know I've done some videos where, um, uh, yeah, I've deleted TikTok off my phone now, but where I did the the TikTok sort of things, and be, you could do like funny things, and then I would I would bring them across to LinkedIn. And they always did quite, um, you know, quite, you know, they always did quite well. So you can be, you can be creative, but the, the, the important thing to just keep in mind is, a, who is my target market, and b, is this something which is going to move them closer to the sales process. Now, if you're on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. truth is, your target market is going to be quite broad. I mean, your market is going to be somewhat broad, right? Because it's your connection. So you're not going to go. Most likely, you're not going to go. Okay, I only want to get in touch with, you know, 60 you know, jewelers who are have ten or more staff. So you've got to go a bit broader because if you want to do that, you do a direct mail campaign. Mm. Um, but but you can sort of make it more to, yeah, you know, businesses who sell high ticket items, for example, and and sort of talk about topics that are relevant to them um, rather than retailers. Uh, if that if that's the sort of target market. So you're still getting a large slice of that pie, but still maintaining your relevance.
0: How, how much of a trap or a double-edged sword is the decision to have a narrow niche? Let's say you, for example, uh, Scott, you decide that you will only do copyright. Uh, is it a trap to design your whole content strategy around a narrow niche and what happens if finally it turns out that you need to open it up or move to an, or move to a different niche. Does it make yeah. sense? Is niching a trap?
1: The, niching's a niching is an interesting one. I think, I think you always need to be careful what you name your business, right? That you don't you don't stick yourself into a into a corner. So mm. so you're not going to call, I wouldn't call my business um, uh, until I had proven the concept, I wouldn't call it uh, marketing for, uh, for jewelers as an example, mm. because then I might, I might go and create the campaign. I mean, my, my thinking is you go broad and then you go narrow. So you go broad to a reasonably broad um, niche, but you may find there's particular niches that are more. Yeah, that are more hungry for that. So let's say under the under the the Scott Bywater brand, right? I could go broader to to you know to businesses that sell yeah high ticket items, sort of a thousand dollars plus, right? But then I may find that I'm doing incredibly well in a niche like uh, real estate agents. Well, mm. I could go. Mm, what don't I set up a website specifically for real estate agents mm. and and then and then carve off. That niche, I may find I've got another niche and I could potentially carve off separate niches. So I've got broad within, let's say, the Scott Bywater brand. But then I have different niches and different businesses that surround that, which is marketing for real estate, lead generation mm. for real estate agents or whatever it is, as an example. Because niching is, it's, it's very, you know, when you get a niche because it's very powerful um, I found when I first moved into copywriting, this is, you know, sort of 17, 18 years ago, uh, bang, I went from marketing consultant to copywriter, I think I 10 times my revenue, literally overnight, that's still quite a broad niche, as such, but it was the, it was the timing of the niche, it was hitting the niche at the right time in the right market. It's like a wave. Yeah. So when a wave goes over, if you catch the wave too early. Uh, you you sail over the wave. If you catch it too late, you get smashed. I caught that wave mm. at the right time and then was able to really um, leverage that and ride that wave into into shore. Recently I started doing to do some events and I did some normal events for business owners and it wasn't really the feedback wasn't really cracking it. And then I did I did some events just for marketers. Um, amazing. The, you know, mm. the feedback was incredible. Because I'd, I'd hit a vein or a niche in the actual market, which wasn't being, uh, you know, wasn't being serviced. So, yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a tricky one. And I think it's one a lot of people get, you know, a lot of people get confused with. Uh, but it's, it's I think, a really good book to read about niching is like the Blue Ocean Strategy. Uh, that's that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I like the little graphs that they do, that they bring up. And you know, it gives examples like, uh, are you got it in the back there? Like, I think uh, so. Tell me what it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, like McDonald's or something when they came out, yeah. So they went after a market. It was expensive for people to um, to buy, you know, to go out for, for restaurants back then. So McDonald's came in and they were an inexpensive option um to you know to actually you know to go to a restaurant that worked very well for that time yeah if you came out with that same model now it probably wouldn't work because the market's changed but yeah it's seeing where the market's at and seeing Mm. what's important to people and maybe you do less like mcdonald's did less in terms of maybe quality of food but that wasn't as important as having a low price and being able to go out
0: so so the niche is not something that depends exclusively on your appetite for it or your decision or your liking. Let's say if I decide now that I want to be coaching only tax advisors because I like coaching tax advisors, well, tough luck because if it's the wrong timing on the cycle of the tax advisors, let's say... uh, Boom or, or, or cycle of the economy, then I may be on the wrong foot, which means that it, there may be a, an extremely low demand for the niche that I want. so you need to pick a niche that is that is aligned with current trends primarily if you want to succeed. this is correct? Yeah yeah I think current, I think it's two things. I think it's the current
1: trends. Um so so what's the what's the current pain point mm. in terms of the in terms of the current trends right so so if we look at something that will be trending you know during covid for example i'm sure stuff like the you know the 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 hand creams and stuff like that you know, the mm. the cleaning chemicals all that would trend because because there's fear out there yeah about cleaning mm. so something like that would you know would trend um, during this you know during this time period but you also we also need we also need to look at what's the competition yeah so so if you've got something, if mm. you can hit the market, see when I hit the copywriting market, very little competition and the need was the need was going up. So if you've got I mean I'm, I'm trying to give an example but if you've got the need going up like this and the competition down here, all of a sudden, well, let's say you you came up with some amazing, ca- amazing cream which made back pain disappear. Mm. Yeah, so you, you created this. There's a massive amount of back pain around there, so the needs going up. The competition's here. As the competition goes up and more people invent that cream, well then the the benefit sort of disappears. Mm. So so or, or gets or gets less. So it's all about. I think a lot of it's about yeah, writing, finding and riding the waves because. Let's face it, if you're a brilliant surfer but you miss the wave and I'm an average surfer but I just happen to catch the wave, I win. I get into shore. Mm. Now, you're stuck out there wondering what's going on. I'm in, I'm in shore, not because I'm a genius, just because I caught the wave.
0: Yeah, so niching is only as, as smart as uh, the timeliness of it. I mean, if it's not timely, it may be just a pipe dream or you, you may lose the train, as you said, or le- the bus. That's a great one. I like that uh, story with the surfer. Hmm?
1: And th- this is where we need to be careful, too, of following guru's advice, right? So if we look at, let's say, someone like someone like Gary Vaynerchuk, and I'm a, I'm a fan of Gary Vaynerchuk, but... He's like, you know, just put 30 pieces of content out there a day, put 50 pieces of content out there a day, mm. or you know, all of that sort of thing, which there, there, is, there is something that can be said to that, but people look at it and, and we get this, you know, uh, I think it's called championship bias, yeah? So we, we, look mm. at what, we look at what someone like Gary Vaynerchuk has achieved and we go, wow, look at what he's done. But, but he entered the market at a time when no one was creating content. He had the foresight to do that. Yeah. But it's a little bit like, um, like, let's say when I when I was a, when I hit the copywriting market back then, I thought I was a genius because I hit the market at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if I, if I was at the same stage and I hit it now, I would not, I do not believe I would have the same success. You know, if I was at that skill level and I hit the market now. Because the markets change, so when we go, when we look at someone like Gary Vaynerchuk, we go, "Wow, um, I'm going to do exactly what he's done." Yeah, and there, yeah, and there can be some success to that. But he was, he's, he's providing advice potentially that won the game ten years ago. Is that going to win the game today? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and that's that's a question we need to ask: Is that going to win the game? And this is not taking anything against Gary Vaynerchuk because I'm a fan of his, but we've always got to ask the question is whoever's giving the advice going to give the advice that's going to win the game today and not five or 10 years ago?
0: That's a very correct point. Or are we, or, or what I do with Gary, I just take bits and pieces of what he does and says, and I try to use them in my own strategy. I You know, trying to be a new Gary Vee is as vain as trying to be the new Coca-Cola, as you said before. Because Let's face it. Somebody told me this story, and it's really interesting. If you had the, the recipe of Coca-Cola right now, I give it to you. You have it, right? So you you can never become a Coca-Cola. It's not just the recipe. It's not just what Coca-Cola, how Coca-Cola produces its drinks. You know a whole infrastructure, a whole, let's say, uh, edifice was constructed during the past 50 years with relationships, with dynamics, with, uh, and, and the muscle that ngari vinerchuk has is so massive right now that you cannot simply copy him. It's not just the 30 pieces of content per day, which is the same with, it's not just the recipe for Coca-Cola, right? Yes. It's it's not just a secret. It's not here is a secret, you can do it. It's about writing the momentum. It's about uh, timeliness and all these things that you very correctly said. And,
1: and, and I think it's about critical thinking, right? So, it, so it's taking what a Gary Vaynerchuk or Russell Brunson, all of these things are doing, and then mm. mixing them up to find your own your own formula. Because if there was a formula that was already made... That we could just follow and all become, you know, multi-millionaires, I mean, it's just it's just not the case. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? We, we need to find we need to find that thing which gives us an edge. And I think as mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, asking the question and going, "What, you know, what, what are my, you know, what are my skills? What am I good at? What am I strength at? What are my assets? What am mm-hmm. I?" You know, it's a swe- strength, weaknesses, opp- opportunities, threats. Right, the whole SWOT analysis. Mm-hmm. And going, well, how do I play my game? How do I play the game based on this sort of, you know, based on on where I am on the chessboard? Because you play very differently based hmm, on where the pieces are laid out.
0: Which goes back to the blue ocean concept that you said, very briefly suggesting that with a, a right shift in mindset, we can find niches and markets where there is no competition uh, compared to simply diving into the red ocean, which is full of existing players, which is a saturated market uh, mindset, I would say. Uh, It will greatly help us uh, see our value. So the blue ocean mindset is really helpful in, in the sense that if you do a personal SWOT analysis, as you said, on you, you may be able to find uh, skills or strengths that uh, are really compelling. And when you are inside a jar, you cannot read the label outside of the jar. So sometimes we think that our strengths or our assets are common. Many people have our ability to meet deadlines the copywriting gift or or texterity So we actually, by having a step a step back and uh, observing ourselves, we can find uh, strengths which are quite unique. And we and using that perception, we can do what you said. We can think of what value can we bring to the world that only Scott can do it or only Philippus can do it. Uh, that's quite interesting. But it it, it needs self re- self reflection introspection. And clarity as well. So you need to take a step back and make an audit of your whole uh, self.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think one really good question is you know, to, to ask people, and you could even send an email out and say, hey, what do I do better than most mm. other people? Um, from others and getting that getting that feedback of hey what you know what do you do better that there, there's another there's a really good book called the Pumpkin Plan by mm. Mike Mill I, I can't Mill Mil, I I can't pronounce his surname but a great book mm. um, and one of the, he he actually gives three questions in there I'm just trying to trying to trying to recall them one one of those questions is you know what do yeah if I could do anything for you what do you wish Mm. that I could do for you You yeah what would I yeah another one was what are the biggest gripes you have about x industry and yeah I think he gives an example in there of someone who was they were like um a dog they were like in the looking after dogs business and they would go and they'd walk like 10 or 15 dogs or whatever Mm. and um but when they asked the question if I could do anything for you I think one of the answers was I'd love for you to just you know sit down and hang out with my dog when he's away and they would pay a premium for that Mm. so all of a sudden you've got a simpler business model you've got no competition because nobody's offering that service um and and it and it sort of flips the business Mm. by asking the questions and that's where the research and and doing deep research is so you know is so critical because if you do that deep research you'll actually get you'll get some some incredible insights, which then can lead to interesting, you know, interesting product, um mm. yeah, interesting creation of you know, of new products and new concepts and things which yeah, which stand out.
0: And seeing also how your prospects view you and what value they attach on you in specific, because you may think that you are the best. In my case, for example. Let's say I do lawyer's coaching. Uh, I've asked a couple of people, what would you like, ideally, what would you like me to help you with? And to my surprise, some people told me, we would like you to help us produce content on LinkedIn for us. You know, I would never have thought that lawyers would like me to help them with their content strategy. So unless you ask, as you said, you cannot really tell exactly what value your prospects may see in you, and and you can come up with all interesting new concepts or products uh, which you, you could have not thought of yourself otherwise. So it's a, it's a it's an interesting one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because because you want the product, you want to be selling the product that flies off the shelves. Yeah, not the one that people just look at and go, oh, uh, I've seen mm-hmm. that a million, I've seen that a million times, yeah, a million times before. So yeah, so that that's so that lawyers one. If you look around, you might find there's heaps of lawyers that can do it, and that could be a whole whole new business, which uh, wouldn't take up a lot of your time. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And and it could be repositioned as you know content marketing for law. You know, some name mm-hmm. around content marketing for lawyers, and you could systemize it and streamline it. Still have your content business, and then mm-hmm. fl- uh, still have your coaching business, and then flick all the the work over to the, you know, to the side, even partner with someone to do Mm -hmm. that. So, and and it only comes, that only comes because you ask the question.
0: Absolutely. And on on the niche, and I will take you to the webinars and we we, we close it because I think we are uh, right on time. On the niche, the Scott Bywater brand, right? Let's say you have your broad niche, uh, your broad uh, brand. When you decide to spin off or to create a niche, with a new website would you suggest that this is done under your brand or you create a new brand for that as well so that it doesn't reflect it doesn't uh, have you locked into that niche does it I mean, would you do it under your own brand if it's a specific niche i i mean i'll just look at what
1: what i've done like in recently when we talk about the yeah you know, the webinars like we've got the yeah, I've obviously got the Scott Bywood brand. Um, mm. But, and I have partnered with someone and we're, we're running some things for a, a, a brand called Event Filler. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's, so that is, um, yes, yeah, so they're two different brands, right? You've got, mm. you've got one is a Scott Bywood. And the way I see it is there's no reason why, like, let's say, Philippos, you couldn't have, you know, you couldn't have logos on your websites to all the other brands. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, you've got a content marketing, like, hypothetically, mm. you've got a content marketing brand. You've got a brand that helps people, helps lawyers, I don't know, like some sort of software for lawyers that helps them, yeah, go through some AI technology that helps them rush through contracts faster. You've got another mm. brand. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. and and those brands can become bigger than the Philippos brand, right? So, over, over time, so i'm a big fan of that obviously you know there's issues like bandwidth and how good you know someone is at systemizing and bringing in teams and partners and all that sort of thing um but i i, I like that as a you know as a concept because then yeah you know, then you're known as the you know as maybe the expert for lawyers or the resource for lawyers mm. but the, the, the separate brands are, are sort of offshoots of that
0: Okay. And moving to the last bullet I have on webinars. I see you're big on webinars and you are also o- organizing you have one coming up or several, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we're so we're running some we have we've been running some webinars. Um and if you go to I think it's event filler, I can put the link mm-hmm. in the in the page later. I think it's eventfiller.com forward slash Scott Hyphen webinar or something. But the 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 reason i'm such a big fan of webinars is really it's just speed yeah so mm. it's um, it's the speed of trust building so with a you know how i mentioned before the 10% and then if someone have absorbed 30 or more pieces of content mm. it jumped up to 80% mm-hmm. a webinar is almost a way of speeding up that process because mm. you can get someone on the you can get someone to commit to a 30 45 minute time period to actually sit with you, that builds a lot of trust uh, as a result of that. So that is like reading your 20, 30 articles and then at the end of that, they can go to it into an appointment. You're doing one-to-many so it really maximises your time, but then people go into an appointment. So by the time they're in that appointment, your chances of closing that sale are much higher um, just because you have provided more content, more value, before they jump into that sales meeting. So it's a little bit like, you know, like I, I've had an email list for you know well over a decade, and sometimes you'll get phone calls and you'll be like, I've been getting your emails for like two years. Do you know what I mean? And it's like they're really easy to sell to just because the trust is there. And it's the webinar is like a, a way of speeding up that process, if you like.
0: So it's like videos on steroids in what sense? That a video it's a much better representation of the service provider. It shows his character in a more direct way than a post or a text. Whereas a live webinar and the opportunity for people to interact with the brand or with the service provider can, as you said, and it makes perfect sense, it puts the trust building process on the highway. Yeah, so yeah. It's, yeah, it's like
1: the, it's like the more you tell, the more you sell. Right? Is a is an old copywriting mm. sale. The more you tell, the more you sell. So in a two minute video, you can sell so much, and and that works for a LinkedIn platform, right? Because if you had a forty, I mean, I think you can only do ten minutes, but if you had a forty minute video, probably nobody would watch it. Um, but then if you can say, if you can say, if I can sit down with you at a bar, okay, hey, Philip, I've got man's, you know, like give you a few give you a, a really quick idea and say, you know what, I've got to run. Mm. But if you wanna if you wanna find out more, here's a ticket to an event I'm running next week. That's basically what it is. You go on LinkedIn, you go, Hey Philippos, here's a ticket to an event I'm running next week. And you go, Oh, you know, you're running a an event on how to make pagolas or whatever. Um, or how to build a pagola. You're like, oh, I'm interested in that. I'll come along to that, you know, to that one hour I've event and check it out, sort of thing.
0: It makes sense. And the last question isn't isn't the whole video or live webinar uh, idea a bit of a double-edged sword? So let's say that I am not a pleasant personality, or I radiate negative energy, or I am not a I, I am not really competent in verbalizing my thoughts. So is this a is it something that people should consider that instead of such tools? Helping them create more business actually it can harm their brand by not being able to have a positive impact during these initiatives.
1: Well, I, th- I think it's a case of know thyself, right? So mm. it, it all it all boils down to that. So it could be it could be that it could be that you just you're not comfortable in front of the camera, whatever whatever it is in terms of your personality type. Uh, if you're not comfortable doing videos, do text or do audio or do, do you know what I mean? I don't think there's any, there's any one size fits all to all, you know, to all of this. And likewise, webinars aren't the only answer. Like, um, you know, one of the things, you know, which can work really well is just doing lead ads. And if you're great at sales, run lead ads and jump on the phone and you can get started mm-hmm. in like 24, 48 hours. Do you know what I mean? So there's, there's all of these sort of things, which, um, It's knowing yourself, knowing your business and playing the chess game based on the pieces you've got, based on where the pieces are on the board. Um, I think that's really important rather than going, find me a good, I mean, don't get me wrong, formulas and systems and all that sort of thing can be very powerful and it can be good to model what's worked and what hasn't and all that sort of thing. But we also need to tailor it and customise it to, you know, to knowing ourselves Mm
0: -hmm. and our business is really really critical fantastic scott we are right on time i would just invite you to say to our viewers what's your future plans Uh, do you i think you are a webinar coming we have a webinar coming up soon on 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 webinars is it correct. Webinar on webinars, yeah.
1: <laughs> like the uh, the selling the selling the shovels to the uh, to the gold miners sort of thing. <laughs> so so um yeah, yeah. So so if you want to know more, go to au. There's a whole heap of um yeah, you'll you'll find information on me there. Um or go to I think it's eventfiller.com forward slash Scott Hyphen webinar, and you'll and you'll find uh details on that and um, yeah feel free to reach out uh, if you'd like to yeah if you'd like to know
0: more thank you thank you for being a guest Scott, I'm very happy that we finally managed to sit together and do this
1: yeah no, likewise thanks for, thanks for having me here it's been uh, yeah it's been, it's been it's been great
0: pleasure thank you to our viewers who, who are watching now and who will watch later when, when the live episode is over. And this brings us to the end. Hopefully, we'll do a new episode in the future about your new plants.
1: I'd, I'd love that. Thanks, Thanks Philippos. Have a, have a great uh, – it's, it's evening here, but it's morning there, so have a great day.
0: Thank you, and have a fantastic week as well. Bye. All Thank right. you. Ciao. Cheers. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks. Bye. I save a prayer for those who care. I keep
0: the faith, but no one will dare to hold my hand until the end. When all the pieces fall into place, my body's weak, the mind is tired, but there's a fire that heals deep inside. I close my eyes and stretch my soul to gather up the nerve to carry.